there's a lot of shaming. Mm. There's so much parent shaming. Yeah. You know, like, oh, you should, you're doing this. Oh no, you should be doing that. Mm. Oh, like you're doing that wrong. Like, I can't believe you fed your kid that. I can't believe you said that to your kid. Like, oh no, you should never allow your child to, you know, watch TV or, you know, do this or do that. And I think that leads to parents putting so much pressure on themselves. So they're getting outside pressure and they're getting inside pressure and it is just creating this ticking time bomb. Are you over 40? Do you feel like you're stuck? Maybe you've always had this knowing that you're meant to do more. Well, on the other side of fear is exhilaration. Your life has purpose. You were born to make an impact. Dear Midlife is about triumphing over life's adversities together and empowering women over 40 to navigate with strength and courage all of the messiness of life. Hi, I'm Shelby Bybee, karaoke party queen, full-time single mother of two teenage girls, world traveler, and an extrovert to a fault. And I'm Trinity Greenfield, a wild-haired little girl living in a grown woman's body that's still full of spunk, charm, and sass with a sprinkle of some black girl magic. We are both a work in progress, and together we are here to link arms with you as we make it our mission to be our best selves and share tips, tricks, and expert advice through no-holds-barred conversations for navigating the ups and downs that come with living life in the middle. Hello, dear Midlife listeners. I am so thrilled to have you join us every single week for our new episodes. And before I introduce our fantastic guest today, I just have one favor to ask of you. If you are really enjoying the Dear Midlife podcast, please leave us a review. Let us know what you love about the show. And even don't hesitate to reach out at dearmidlife at gmail.com to let us know what other topics you might be interested in hearing. And now I'd like to introduce our guest today, Dr. Ashley Funk, who is the owner and founder of Paradise Psychology in Fort Worth, Texas. As a licensed psychologist, Dr. Funk specializes in the treatment of anxiety disorders and helps caregivers manage unwanted behavior displayed by their children. She's passionate about helping her clients improve their relationships through open, effective communication and healthy boundaries. So without further ado, let's welcome our guest today, Dr. Ashley Funk. We're so excited to have you here today, doctor. Thank you for being here. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Welcome, welcome. Yes, so Dr. Ashley is here today to discuss with us parenting in the trenches. Life has changed so much over, goodness gracious, the last two years. I feel like we're in this vortex of time. I don't even know where it's gone. Time is relative now. Exactly. So especially, you know, when you have little children, time has sped by so quickly and stood still at the same time, I feel like. So Dr. Ashley is here to share with us some of her tips and tricks for navigating some of the challenges that we've experienced as parents over the last year. So I would love to just start with your history and letting us know how you came to this this place and why your focus is on children and this type of psychology. Yeah, so um, I did my training at Wright State University School of Professional Psychology in Dayton, Ohio. 
And during that time, I did a, a program called Peace Pact, and that was with um, underserved families. And I also have a background in CMHC, which is community mental health, and mm. worked with a lot of families during that. And I just grew to love working with children and their families and helping them navigate parenting issues or like, you know, had a lot of families coming in saying, feel like we tried everything. Nothing's mm -hmm. working. We don't know what we're doing wrong. Um, this is still happening. And just, you know, troubleshooting all those issues and finding peace and harmony in the household. And what a rewarding place to start, right? It's if you can change the life of a child and catch them early, mm -hmm. right? The, you're impacting not only them, but you're impacting their future children, their future children's mm -hmm. children. So my hat goes off to you. Thank yeah. you. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. <laughs> Ashley. I love this. We have really, like we were starting this podcast off by saying how time has stood still over the course of the last couple of years. And I think parents are particularly feeling that with a global pandemic, mm -hmm. when many of us were in lockdown, forced to not only work from home, amongst our mm -hmm. family, but also in many instances to wear so many hats, to wear the hat of the mom, the spouse, and the teacher, and the disciplinarian, and all of these things. So help us understand how parenting in a global pandemic has changed and you know what we can do as we start to emerge from this pandemic to sort of normalize. Hmm. Yeah. So just like you said, you know, we have all these roles that we play in life and what the pandemic did is it started to blur those lines mm -hmm. and blur those roles. So, you know, when we would go to work, we would be the employer or the employee, but now we're having these blurred lines of being the teacher, being the parent, being the employer, being the employee, you know, and having to try to keep our children focused in their schoolwork and trying to also navigate any, you know, tantrums that flare up or any behaviors that flare up. And meanwhile, trying to get our work done and it's creating a lot of stress. So our routines are being dumped on their head, but it's not just our routines that are being dumped on their head. It's also our children's routines yeah. and children thrive on routine. Mm -hmm. So when you take away that routine, you take away that regular schedule children are not going to do well. Um, you know, there's going to be a lot of behaviors that come out and that's going to add not just stress and anxiety for the child, but it's going to add a lot of stress and anxiety for the parent because they have to manage not only the changes that they have in their roles, but also the changes and the behaviors that are coming out from the child. Mm -hmm. And I can imagine, you know, we're better equipped as parents to handle certain behaviors, right? You act mm -hmm. up, get, get ugly, act a fool, throw your cereal across the room. I can deal with that. I know how to manage that as a parent, but things when it comes to now your schoolwork and how you're, how you're performing in school and whether you're listening or doing it right, I don't know. And, you know, don't even throw core math in there and, you know, all this other stuff. Now I'm just like, child, you're on your own. Good luck. May, may the gods be with you. How do we parent in these situations that truthfully we're, we're not educated enough to mm -hmm. always know how to manage that. We don't know how to deal with the behaviors that teachers are having to deal with mm -hmm. that my, my little Johnny would never do that. Are you kidding me? This angel child that I have raised from my womb. How, how, do, how do we do that as parents? So I have a rule that I like parents to kind of live by. 
And it is catch your child being good Mm. more than you catch them being bad. Mm. I love that. And the reason for that is attention is attention. Doesn't Mm. matter why you're giving them attention. It's still attention and children want attention. Mm. So, you know, if you're saying, for instance, you know, Johnny, focus on your schoolwork. Johnny, stop screaming. You're still saying their name. You're still giving them attention. You're still, you know, giving them that focus and energy. So you want to catch them being good more than you catch them being bad. So when they're focusing on their schoolwork or they're doing well in their schoolwork, you want to praise that. Mm. I don't mean, you know, rewarding a child doesn't have to cost money. Yeah. Free rewards are the best rewards Mm. because you want to teach your child to do things that are positive for intrinsic value. So because Mm -hmm. they're good to do. So, you know, verbally praising, you know, physical comfort, whether it's a pat on the back or, you know, giving them a hug or a pat on the head or, you know, high five. That's great. Saying things like, I'm so proud of you. You did such a good job. Way to focus. Those are ways to show your child, not only that you are happy with what they're doing, but what you expect of them. That is a great tip. And you know what? That works actually with adults as well. (laughs) Trinity and I have spent a lot of time in the space of leadership. And what we always say is there should be a five to one ratio in terms of positive feedback to constructive criticism. For example, you should give five pieces of positive feedback to every one piece of constructive criticism. And that's the ratio that we use for adults. And I'm assuming it's probably the same for kids. But I think the challenge in that space is how do we focus on the positive when we as parents are losing our ever-loving minds? Mm. Because, Mm -hmm. you know, parenting littles is hard and all the temper tantrums and then throw on top of that, the stress of the global pandemic. And now there's inflation that we're all dealing Mm -hmm. with. So there's a financial pinch. The recession's coming. The recession's Mm -hmm. on the horizon. (laughs) And we are feeling all of these stresses ourselves. So how do we manage our stress as parents so that we can show up better for our children? Yeah. And I think that's a tricky thing. And I think another thing that I see happening a lot too, especially you know, there's a lot of Facebook groups for parents and Mm. there's, you know, a lot of technology with all of that. There's a lot of shaming. Mm. There's so much parent shaming. Yeah. You know, like, Oh, you should, you're doing this. Oh no, you should be doing that. Mm. Oh, like you're doing that wrong. Like, I can't believe you fed your kid that I can't believe you said that to your kid. Like, Oh no, you should never allow your child to, you know, watch TV or, you know, do this or do that. And I think that leads to parents putting so much pressure on themselves. So they're getting outside pressure and they're getting inside pressure and it is just creating this ticking time bomb. Mm. So yes, it is so easy to kind of focus on that stress and that anxiety and that negative. And so, yes, it is very difficult to see the positive sometimes. So self-care becomes vital. And one of the things, you know, I tell all my clients, parents, children, adolescents that come in my office is you have to fill your own bucket before you can fill somebody else's. Mm. It's like, put the oxygen mask on yourself first before you put that on your child. Yes. Mm. 
Yes. And I think, you know, one tip I tell parents is when you engage in self-care, whether it's mindfulness meditation or relaxation techniques, whether it's, you know, like five minutes of deep breathing or some mindful walking, if you have household pets, you can do anything mindfully. It's just about being in the here and now Mm. in a non-judgmental way. Yeah. And you can engage your children with it too. And because they can do the same thing. So you can go for a walk out in nature with your child. You can mindfully eat. So, you know, if you want to get that tub of ice cream out of the freezer and, you know, sit down and enjoy every spoonful, do that. Mm. Um, You know, it is finding that, you know, five, 10, 15 minutes. It doesn't have to be hours every week. It's just finding that little bit of time to yourself and finding what you like what comforts you and what relaxes you. And it should probably be healthy. Like a bottle of Jim Beam. (laughs) Yeah, there's there's good self-care and then there's self-care that we're like, "Mm, is that a distraction and an escape or is that really (laughs) self-care? Doctor, good point, right? You know, it's interesting that you're talking about the stress and anxiety on us as parents, but I would imagine too that the kids are, feeling perhaps a lot of a stress and anxiety as well. And so I like the idea of working together, parent and child to go on that walk outside or eat that tub of ice cream. I like that one better. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Um, So how do we recognize the stress and anxiety in our children and what else can we do to help them alleviate some of the stress that they are feeling? Because they don't have the wherewithal to say, oh, I'm feeling very stressed out right now. I think I need to go take that walk. So what can we do as parents to support them? So the number one thing any parent can do to support their child is be a good role model. Mm -hmm. So the way that you show your emotions and you communicate your emotions and cope with your emotions, your child is going to see that. Whether you think they do or not, they're going to see that. They're going to model after you. So if you communicate with them and say, you know, I'm feeling sad right now and you say why you're feeling sad, or you say, I'm feeling angry right now and why you're feeling angry and then show how you express that in a healthy way, they're going to model that behavior. Now here's the caveat to that. Anxiety in adults is shown differently than anxiety in children. A lot of the time, not always, but a lot of the time. Hmm. So especially young children, so young children can show anxiety through irritable outbursts. So temper tantrums, getting angry really easily. This is also true in adolescence. So an adolescent Hmm. who you might be like, wow, they're just being, you know, a little brat or like, they're just being really snarky Mm -hmm. and they're just really quick to snap. It may not be what you think it is. It may be anxiety coming Mm -hmm. out as irritability. And so you may want to stop and ask yourself, where's the pattern here? What's going on here? Maybe we have need to have a discussion and figure out what's really happening. Hmm. So what do you do if they have anxiety? How do you, how do you plug in with them and help them through? A lot of the time, um, depending on the age of the child, because sometimes even, especially with littles, anxiety can also come out somatically. So it could be headaches, tummy aches, Mm -hmm. things like that. I like to ask, where do you feel the anxiety in your body? And sometimes you can even get like, go online and find like a little cut out of like a gingerbread man or gingerbread girl and have them color 
where they feel the anxiety. So you have a good understanding because if they can't communicate it, they can still tell you in a way like coloring. Um, and then doing things like the mindfulness, deep breathing, you know, being able to talk, like knowing that you are a safe person in their life, that they can come to you and talk to you about anything. And they're still going to be safe and secure and loved is what they need in that moment. Mm. It's amazing because I do not fancy myself to be a doctor. Let's be clear. And I, being a normal layperson mother with a slight intuitive edge to her, can look around and see that so many of our young people have shifted. They're, they're, they're different today than the young people when I grew up or even somewhere mm -hmm. in between. Like, and I, you know, it's easy, I think, for me to say, oh, well, everybody's just over-diagnosing everyone with ADHD or anxiety and kind of blow it off. But I'm really seeing so many kids that, that are finding it difficult to just cope with everyday mm -hmm. life. What is this about? What is this phenomenon that we are seeing right now, Dr. Ashley? I think there's a lot of hypotheses out there about that. And I think there's a lot of different reasons that could potentially go into it. One is accessibility to information. Mm. The information overload never stops. Mm. The ease in which they can have contact with their peers, contact with current events, you know, contact and information about you name it, whether it's, you know, the war in Ukraine, the most recent variant of COVID-19, you know, any bit of information or if they're being bullied, you know, back in the day, bullying used to stop when you came home from school. Now it never stops because it can go 24 seven online. And so we're seeing a lot more distress and we're also seeing, you know, this understanding and knowledge of, you know, when I become an adult, what is the economy going to look like? Right. What is the political climate going to look like? Am I going to get into college? Because, you know, I've talked to clients and getting into college is so much more difficult now than I remember it being. And me even asking myself like, man, if I apply, would I even get in? Um, and, you know, there is so much stress and a lot of kids are like going from, you know, sport A to sport B to sport right. C to event this and that. And so they're so overscheduled. And all because, of them have to make it to the league or the professional team mm -hmm, or none right. of this was worth our efforts, child. Yes. And I, I feel like children and adolescents, just like a lot of adults, are people pleasers. Mm. Uh, yeah, absolutely. So that's why it's so important for parents to have that open door and be inviting and, you know, let the child know or the adolescent know, like, you can come and talk to me about anything and everything. Because if the child doesn't feel like they can speak up, they're just going to hold it all in. And that's where we're going to have a lot of anxiety or depression. Mm -hmm. And then it's going to start to come out in other ways. The social media thing is, is so pervasive. I mm -hmm. have two daughters, 13 and 15. My eldest daughter has suffered um, bullying to the extent that the child was physically pulled out of school because mm -hmm. he was not only bullying her um, 
socially through the social media apps, but also physically at school. Mm. Um, and you know, that became a very traumatic experience. And I, I find it interesting and I didn't, I don't know why I never put two and two together that yes, you're right. When you, when I was young, you could go home and you could escape the bullying, but now the bullying is constant. And I think too, what you've also stated is that we are constantly feeding our information to our children that is creating stress and children let's be honest are getting access to technology at younger and younger ages so mm -hmm. i think all of these combined to your point are creating stress and anxiety with our children and are putting them maybe in harm's way so help us understand what are your best practices this is i think the one one of the most significant questions that weighs on parents minds what can we do about the technology what are some good rules of thumb? How can we navigate and manage that in a way so that it doesn't create stress for our children and that we're all using these tools in a way that's healthy? Yeah. So I'll share this real quick. There was a recent study that came out about social media and mental health. And the conclusion of the study was social media is detrimental to mental health. Mm. So now right. that is come out with an empirical study. Hey, guess what? What we all suspected, social media, bad for mental health. So I think it's very important if you are giving your child access to a cell phone, you're giving them child access to social media, you're giving them access to, you know, any number of apps, you know what they're using, know their yeah. logins, know their passwords, they're going to fight you, <laughs> expect mm -hmm. it, <laughs> um, but have access to those things, know who they're talking to, know what they're doing. And I would venture to say limiting time in social media and limiting time on certain technologies is probably a good thing because I have so many individuals I've spoken to that will just scroll and scroll and scroll on that newsfeed and, you know, that Twitter feed mm -hmm. and just, it's a comparison thing. I think that's what a lot of it is, is like, oh, my friends are doing this or, oh, this person commented that, or why didn't enough people like my post mm -hmm. or like retweet what I said. And it's not healthy. Like the comparison is just not healthy. And I think having those discussions with your children and with your adolescents of, yes, you can have access to the social media, but you need to be aware that what you see on social media is not reality. Mm. That is the facade that everybody puts up that is their best foot forward and you don't know what's going on in real life for that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So you need to be able to have that distinct, like that distinction and understanding that this is not real life. Yeah. And we keep hearing about imposter syndrome now mm -hmm. over yes. and over and over. Like this is the new buzzword for 2022. Everybody has imposter syndrome and you're seeing it in the business world, even like, oh my gosh, I'm, am I doing enough? Are they going to find out that I'm not as great as I really am, am, am trying to show to the world that I am? And I feel like it's all based in the same place. Mm -hmm. It's all coming yep. from this facade that we're building. And is, is social media even impacting this notion of imposter syndrome? And how does imposter syndrome show up in our children? Yeah, I think it does all boil down to the comparison. I think the more that we compare ourselves to other people and the path and the journey that they're taking, yeah, the more damage we're doing to ourselves. 
because everybody's journey and everybody's path is different and you have to go at your own speed and in your own way. And the faster we're able to recognize that and accept that without judgment, the healthier mentally and physically we're going to be. Mm. And that's not an easy thing to do because that's just not the way, you know, human beings are wired. No. And so do you have a recommendation in terms of at what age we should allow children to even gain exposure to social media? Because again, I go to restaurants. I'm guilty of it as well. When you go to the restaurant and you want to have a nice conversation with the grownups at the table. So you give the littles the iPad or the cell phone and say, you just be quiet and play on here. We didn't have that when I was growing up, but again, at what age is it appropriate to give exposure to children of technology? And, you know, what are the limits that are reasonable that we can impose? Because I found it's difficult to limit my daughter's exposure to things because number one, it's so much, it's difficult Mm -hmm. to control. Number two, sometimes they need their phones at school. So you can't confiscate the technology altogether. So it's a really fine line that we have to walk. So what are the reasonable limits and at what age is it okay to give them permission? So that is a difficult question. Cause like you said, there's so much today where technology is required. It's almost impossible to deny them technology. So, you know, whether it's school, especially during the pandemic, you have to have a computer, you have to have internet, you, you know, and I know back in the day, my parents were like, I guess you're getting a cell phone because you're learning to drive. And if you get in a car accident, you have to be able to call us. Right. Um, And even in graduate school, I think it was my second year of graduate school. I was like the last holdout to get a smartphone that could do internet. And I remember my professors coming to me being like, you have to get one. <laughs> me saying, like, I don't want one. No, you have to. You have to. To pass the class, you must. <laughs> like, you have to. Stop showing up for so classes that were canceled. Um, <laughs> so I was like, okay. Um, but I, you know, I think it's a really hard thing to gauge. Mm-mm. The one thing I would say is if you want your child to have a good sleep schedule, do not let them have access to any technology at least 60 to 90 minutes before their bedtime. Mm -hmm. And that includes a TV, TV, video game, cell phone, computer, iPad, at least 60 to 90 minutes beforehand, because that is going to disrupt their sleep schedule because most electronics emit a blue light. Mm-hmm. And even if your eyes are closed, that will permeate your eyelids and activate your occipital lobe and it will screw up your circadian rhythms mm-hmm. and your production of melatonin. That was a lot of from- polysyllabic words in there. <laughs> yeah. Love <laughs> yeah. science. I'm sure y'all got, got it, right? I, and but many I, that- like me, like, well, if they're not doing this, then what are they going to do? Like that's 60 to 90 minutes of what exactly, doctor? reading, drawing, coloring. (laughs) Oh, those things. Old school stuff. Old school stuff. Old school stuff that they're probably going to be mad at you about. (laughs) Right. Exactly. So, you know, I think that we have a variety of challenges. Let's talk about behaviorally speaking. Mm -hmm. And because I think 
you know, raising the littles, they come through so many phases and so many um, different patterns of behavior. What can we do as parents to recognize those behavioral patterns? We've talked a little bit about the stress, but just in general, and how can we navigate the temper tantrums or the behavioral struggles and what can we do better as parents in that space? So this is kind of the walkthrough that I would usually do. And I'll preface this with, this is not meant to be therapy. This is not a replacement for therapy. (laughs) There's my disclaimer. Gonna be a serial killer. You're not gonna find out about it today on the podcast. (laughs) (laughs) So the first thing you wanna do is like I said earlier on is you want to catch them being good more than you catch them being bad. And it's all about consistency and immediacy. So you want to find the behaviors, like I've picked two or three that you want to hone in on and consistently praise them for the behavior you want and do it as soon as you notice that positive behavior. Cause that way they're going to associate that praise or that reward with that positive behavior. You can also set up reward systems. You can Google it, YouTube it. People have already done the work for you. Do not reinvent the wheel if you do not need to, because that's just adding more stress to you. Right. (laughs) Love that tip. So, you know, there are reward systems. Find what works for your child. You know, some kids, they don't care about stickers. They could care less. So, you know, find what works for your child. It could be putting a penny in a jar. It could be, you know, having stickers. It could be working towards, you know, a pizza hut party like we used to have back in the day. Um, it could be, you know, going to McDonald's. It could be going for a walk. It could be going to their favorite park. It doesn't have to be something that costs a lot of money. Mm-hmm. And in fact, I would caution against doing that. Don't do a build up to reward that costs a lot of money because that's mm-hmm. going to build an expectation for your child. And then when you stop doing that, you're going to have temper tantrums. So don't do it. (laughs) Um, The next thing I would do is once you have those target behaviors is for littles, it's always timeout. And timeout is a tricky thing. Um, Rule of thumb for time limits is child's age plus one minute. So that's kind of the rule of thumb. And no negotiation, no fighting. You know, you tell them what's expected of them give them time to do what they're supposed to do, warn them once, give them time, then they go to timeout. You know, after that, there is no engagement. Like it is stone face, silence, they just go. And I'll add a little bit of a tip there. Don't send them to their room because you don't want their bedroom to be affiliated with punishment because guess what's going to happen? They're going to hate their bedroom. They're going to hate bedtime. And then you're going to have sleep problems. (laughs) That's a great great tip. tip. So, you know, have, I've had, um, individuals that like cut out a cardboard circle and paint it and that's the timeout circle, or they go buy a placemat at Dollar Tree. Um, or you have like a little rug that is a timeout rug that you can just roll out anywhere. You can even like shove it in your purse and take it out in public. Hmm. Um, if you're in public that child's age plus one, cut it in half because okay. you're, it's too much stress to do the full time in public. Um, cause you've got people staring at you like, what's going on? Um, the shaming factor now. Yeah, yeah. The shaming so factor right. comes into play. Um, the other thing I would say too, that a lot of parents will come in and see me and say, I don't know what I'm doing wrong. Their behavior is getting worse. Hmm. Beware the behavior burst. 
So when you start disciplining a problematic behavior, your child's behavior is likely to get worse before it gets better. That just means you're doing it right. Really? Hmm. Why is that? So the child obviously likes to get their way or they want, you know, things to be the way that they are because, you know, some parents, especially in public, were like, oh, you know, Johnny wants a candy bar. He's going to start throwing a temper tantrum if I tell him no. And then people start staring at me. I feel, you know, terrible. I want Johnny to stop screaming. So I'm like, just take the candy bar. Mm-hmm. Um, well, you just reinforced him We've screaming. Trained them. Mm-hmm. We've trained the screamer. Yeah. So the next time you go in public, Johnny starts screaming because he wants a candy bar. You start ignoring the behavior or you put him in timeout. What's Johnny going to do? He's going to get louder and louder and louder and louder because he's going to push and push and push and push and push to try to get you to do what you used to do before, which was give him the candy bar. It's always worked in the past. He knows he can Mm -hmm. outlast you. Yep. And that's exactly what children try to do. They try to find that threshold to get their goal. Yeah. Hmm. Wow. So Dr. Ashley, at what age do we stop putting children in our timeout? Because mine's 20 and I literally was like 20, 21 is minutes. Okay? Is that, that's going to work, right? <laughs> when it stops working. Right, okay. And, and no, then, honestly, and then yeah, when where, it stops where do we working? turn and what do we do to enforce consequences with those children? And that's when you have to like know your child. So you have to know the consequences that work. So for instance, adolescents, you're not going to put adolescents in timeout. Cause they're just going to look at you and just like, what? How old is <laughs> so an adolescent? Um, Sorry. so adolescents, Sorry if that's a dumb question, but no. So adolescence, so pre-adolescence is kind of like 10 to 12. Adolescence is kind of like 13 through okay. like Teenagers. 18. Yeah. Got it. So when you have, I would say I've seen timeout kind of work probably seven or eight is getting pretty late. Okay. Seven or eight is probably about the age that it's going to start stop working. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you have to find kind of what consequences work. So again, think the consequence is not what would bother you. It's what bothers your child. Mm. So if they have like a favorite toy or like for a lot of adolescents, access to social media, mm-hmm. access to Wi-Fi, access mm-hmm. to their cell phone, access to the car, you know, that's what matters to them. Remove that thing that they love or like that's their consequence or, you know, a consequence is not always taking something away. Sometimes it's giving something. So it could be, Oh, guess what? You have an additional chore. Yeah. So you have to do the laundry. You have to take out the trash. You have to do the dishes. You have to set the table. So sometimes it's, you know, adding something that they don't like. Or it's the things that you can no longer afford because of inflation. Mm -hmm. So like if you need your deck built, Child, you are now building mama. Okay. <laughs> this is what we add to you. It's probably the, not doctor recommended. I'm glad he could paint the fence. Um, exactly. <laughs> so that's an interesting thing too, when we talk about uh, affording things. And one question that's been weighing on my mind, which is how do we raise children who are not entitled? Because mm. I feel like in this mm. age of plenty, And the keeping up with the Joneses mindset that we all have parents, that comparison, it's hard, at least I'm speaking for myself, to not want to give my children all the things that maybe I didn't have as I was a child and to indulge all their whims and fancies because 
my neighbor is doing it and I can see it on social media. So what can we do as parents to avoid the entitlement trap? I think that teaching your child early on that they're not going to get everything they want, obviously very important. So every time, you know, you go to the store and they ask for something, it's okay to say, we're not here to get that today. And another thing that I love, 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 like when parents do this with children is, you know, holidays come around, child gets a toy. Great. You got a toy. Now I want you to go find two of your toys that we're going to donate. And, you know, taking, and not just like having the child put it in like a bag and, you know, having the child go to, you know, the shelter or go to the thrift store and be the one to hand it over or volunteering and going places and having the child like help with volunteering. Even little kids can sometimes do this. Like I know we have um, the Fort Worth Animal Control and Care Center and they have sometimes children go like read to the puppies and dogs and things like that. And just letting your child like know that they, there are individuals who are in need and that there are individuals who can benefit from things that like, maybe you don't play with as much or that you don't need anymore. Those are ways to kind of, kind of counteract that sense of entitlement. Um, as well as when you're at the store, helping your child understand that things are bought with money. So your child doesn't need to know like how to add up like dollar bills and coins and things like that. But when, if you're paying with cash, hand the cash to your child, have your child hand the cash to the cashier. Cause then your child is going to start to understand, oh, I don't just get this piece of clothing. I don't just get this food. I don't just get this toy. I have to give something to get something. Yes. And then I would imagine then instead of at home, just giving them money for breathing, existing and taking Mm -hmm. up space, you're actually having them do things to get those Mm -hmm. dollar bills that now they are physically feeling the handover effect. Mm -hmm. Um, I worked hard for this. Is this worth me giving it away for this one item that maybe doesn't matter? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, and I would caution against certain ways of doing that. So I know in my family growing up, I got money for every A I got. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it worked out well because I got straight A's like all the time. But we can tell you're super smart, doctor. <laughs> yes, we can. So, so here's the he caveat loaded, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> so here's the caveat though, is that puts pressure on the individual mm. to always perform. Yes. Yeah. So watch how you reward um, in that way. So doing chores and things like that. Yes, absolutely. Right. Like you can do an allowance for like doing chores around the house, like taking off the trash, doing dishes and things like that. Do not have it on something that's conditional though. Mm. So conditional of like only if you get A's or only if you do well in sports or things like that, because, because then, then we're raising perfect. We, if you're not perfect, you're not mm-hmm. good enough. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And that's what your child is going to internalize is, oh, love and affection and money is conditional on how good I am. Yes. And we yeah. don't want to do that. You've just narrowed down both Shelby and I's deepest childhood traumas and why we are the way we are. Yeah. <laughs> 
So driven, so, so driven, driven because we were driven to perfectionism as kids, yes. you know, um, right that's an interesting <laughs> question because, you know, I struggle with that with my children. So I do have a child that has struggled in some respects in school, and we do try and balance our feedback to her about her grades, because there is a fine line in how much you do encourage your child to be successful and to be disciplined and to do the right things, because those are valued lessons as well. The discipline, consistency, um, fulfilling your commitments and obligations, but you know, we don't want to over, over push them to that fine line of perfectionism as Trinity was saying. So we're, how do we do that in a way that's meaningful and not detrimental to our child's mental well-being? So I think, you know, having those discussions of here is what my expectations are for you. Here's where you currently are. And then opening up that door of how do we get you from A to B? Mm. You know, are there some supports that you could, we could, you know, offer you? Like, do you need tutoring? Like, is there something you're not understanding? Are there certain subjects that are more difficult, you know, or is there something going on outside of school that is impacting your schoolwork? So kind of trying to get to the root of that. Um, and then, you know, obviously if it's something more like, I just don't want to do my schoolwork, just kind of saying, okay, now we're going to start to develop some consequences. If you don't do your schoolwork, now we're going to start adding more chores at home, which I don't know that necessarily that's probably the best way to do it. I'd start more with the takeaway stuff. Yeah. Um, Cause if they're not doing the schoolwork, you're probably not going to do the extra chores you're giving them. Yeah. Um, so, you know, start taking away things that they may enjoy. It's like, okay, then you don't get to go out with your friends. You don't get access to your cell phone. Like, so I'm going to take away all the other things you would do instead of your schoolwork so that you're so bored. Maybe you're actually doing your schoolwork. (laughs) Suddenly math sounds fun. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. That's amazing. You know, I, I think probably uh, listening through all of the amazing tips that you have provided it's probably one last big question looming in parents' minds. And that is, is there something that I need to do? Or is there a point where I should recognize that my child's might need more help beyond what I can provide? And maybe I do need to look at talking to a professional or bringing my child to talk to a professional is there, are there any tips that you can give parents out there that might be thinking of that last big question in their heads? I think if you find that your child is anxious or they're expressing, you know, thoughts of depression or, you know, wanting to hurt themselves or, hurt, you know, even somebody else or, their grades, like suddenly you have a child who is getting really good grades and their grades are drastically lowered, um, or they're refusing to go to school, but maybe they're not really opening up to you and telling you why, or even as a parent, you're talking to your child and you're kind of drawing a blank or you're feeling overwhelmed yourself hearing what your child is telling you. That's probably a good sign that it's time to reach out to a professional. Thank you. Those are great tips. And 
you know, I think it's important that we all keep perspective. We are not here to raise perfect people because we are all perfectly imperfect. Mm -hmm. And if we can raise balanced human beings that can contribute to love and laughter and life, then job well done to each of us. Yes. And thank you for all of your wealth of information, Dr. Ashley, because I think what Trinity has just said is becoming a harder and harder task to tackle with grace and, you know, forgiveness and in great love for our children, because there is so much stress. There is so much anxiety that we put on ourselves that society puts on us. And so I think armed with these tips, we can just do our jobs as parents a little bit better. And that I think will serve all of us in the end. Before we let you go, please share with us how we can find you. Yeah. So the name of my private practice is Paradise Psychology, and you can find me on Facebook and Instagram at Paradise Psychology, PLLC. I also have a profile on psychology today. You can just search Ashley Funk. Um, I'm located in Fort Worth, Texas. And if you Google my business, you'll come up with all the contact info and all the information you want to find. Um, That's how you can find me. Awesome. Are all of your engagements in person or do you do virtual engagements as well? Um, Yeah. So I see people in person and via telehealth and I am a licensed psychologist in the state of Texas. Thank you. And I know that you mentioned also that you have a program that you work with parents and children on. Tell us a little bit about that. Yes. So any um, parents that want to reach out to me and see me, I have a five session program that we work through to manage unwanted behaviors in young children. And I kind of coach you and we do some like role playing and I give you handouts and very, very detailed. I've done all the research for you and walk you through that. And so basically once you're done, you know how to do everything and I send you on your way. (laughs) I love that. I wish I had that when I was raising mine. All I had was the super nanny show. Did you guys ever watch super nanny? (laughs) Love that show, but not really as I think effective as that handholding and that five session process. So thank you so much for sharing that with us. And thank you again for your time today. Thank you so much. All right. right. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much to our guest today, Dr. Ashley Funk of Paradise Psychology. She's provided us some wonderful tips on how to raise small children with thoughtful and positive intention. Here are a few of the takeaways. One, catch your child being good more than you catch them being bad. Use a five to one ratio of positive feedback to negative. And remember, rewarding a child doesn't have to cost money. Two, self-care is vital. You have to care for yourself first before you can care for others. Three, let your child know they can talk to you about anything and everything. It will help alleviate the stress in their lives. Four, social media has been proven to be negative on mental health. Have a handle on your child's access to social media. Know what apps they're using, know their logins, and know who they're talking to. Limit time and access to certain technologies where necessary. Five, try to limit technology 60 to 90 minutes before bedtime. And six, The timeout rule of thumb is the child's age plus one. For example, a four-year-old would sit in timeout for five minutes. If in public, cut that time in half. When you're disciplining problematic behavior, your child's behavior may get worse before it gets better. Thank you so much, Dr. Ashley, for all the helpful tips.